Let's, uh, let's bow for a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we come this morning now to open your word. and uh, We thank you for this whole experience of worship that you've allowed us to participate in. We thank you for your goodness. God, as we gather together, we pray for those who, who can't be with us. Um, we pray that you would <clears throat> encourage them. Uh, Lord, that you would help us to be encouragers to each other uh, in this difficult time. And uh, God, we pray for those who are hurting this morning, uh, those for whom Mother's Day uh, carries some level of, of uh, sorrow or grief. Lord, we pray just for your comfort and peace to them. And, uh, Lord, we do thank you for our mothers, and uh, we ask that uh, you would just bless this time, that you would use it for your glory, for your purposes. In Christ's name, amen. When I was in seventh grade, my, uh, my father bought a, a little farm. He'd always dreamed of having his own little farm where if he could raise animals and all sorts of things like that and put his son to work, I guess, was his dream as well. But uh, I was really excited about it because he told me when we were getting close to finalizing the deal that that meant I could, I could have a garden if I wanted. And I was like, all right, that sounds pretty cool, have a garden. And so I started planning. And I was going to raise all the vegetables I liked. I was going to, you know, some tomatoes, some lettuce, some corn, things like that. And I started talking to him about it, and he said, he said, son, this is your first garden. You're, you're probably not ready for those vegetables. Those take a little bit more expertise. Those take a little bit more knowledge of how to do those right. So why don't you plant instead the, the easy stuff, you know, radishes, carrots, onions, you know, green onions, that sort of thing, um, and you'll, you're sure to have success. And so I, well, he's my dad, so I'll do what he told me to do. And so I did. I, I worked the the ground, got it all loosened up and got it all ready and came time to plant the seeds and I put those seeds in and um, sure enough, my garden was a huge success. Everything that I planted grew. The radishes, the onions, the carrots, everything grew. The problem is, I didn't like any of those vegetables and really nobody in my family liked any of those vegetables. So I had this nice garden with all of these vegetables that no one was going to eat. Okay. This morning I want to talk about planting the right kind of seeds. Um, because we all plant seeds in our actions, in our attitudes, in the lessons we teach. You know, as it's Mother's Day, um, we think a lot about the seeds that our mothers planted in us those things that they taught us. And we carry those with us to this day. And we want to be sure that we're not just planting seeds that are the easy seeds to plant because that's the easy thing to do. We want seeds that, while they may take a little bit more work, they're going to be lifelong seeds. They're going to be seeds that last. They're going to be seeds that see people through their difficulties, through their hardships, through the many things that they're going to face. And, and this is true regardless of if you're a mother or a father or, or, or not. We all plant seeds in the lives we live, in the words we speak to others um, as we help people. We work here in Sunday school with children or we work uh, uh, just 
day-to-day -day interactions. And to look at this issue of the seeds we plant, I want us to look in 2 Timothy chapter 1. And I want us to look at the person of Timothy in particular. Um, Timothy is one of those individuals that we get, a, we get a look at his life before he came to Christ. Before he came to be the Timothy that we know. Um, Paul describes some of it and, and so forth. And so um, I think that that's helpful to us in terms of the, the journey. How do you get um, a young man to be the kind of man that, that Paul describes in his letters and that's described to us in the book of Acts and so forth? How, how do you engender that? Well, it starts with his mother uh, and his grandmother, as we'll see. But in 2 Timothy 1.5, notice what Paul says about Timothy, how he describes him. He says, I recall your sincere faith that first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and now I am convinced is in you also. Now earlier, Paul has called Timothy his, his beloved child, back in verse 2. Uh, my translation here says, my dearly loved son. My beloved child is another way that that's rendered. He's clearly a, an individual of some importance to Paul. He, he's clearly a person that, that Paul uh, values, that Paul has invested a lot of time in, but Paul sees that it's not just his investment that's making a difference in Timothy. He says that, that, um, that Timothy has a, has a sincere faith, is what he calls it. And this sincere faith has been demonstrated. He says, um, I recall it or I remember it, which just is a way of saying, I've seen it. You've lived this out. I, I've seen this faith expressed in your life and in your actions and in your attitudes. He, he, he says this, this faith is beyond question. Um, my translation here says, uh, I, I am convinced. And the way that is phrased there is, is I'm thoroughly, completely, totally convinced of this faith that's present there. And it's a faith that, as I mentioned earlier, is rooted in the faith of his mother and his grandmother. Which means that this is a faith that was, was planted with seeds of certain realities, certain things that his his mother, his grandmother communicated to him, relayed to him, that took hold and really found expression. And I want to look at those things through looking at how Timothy is described in, in other texts, in other passages this morning, to help us kind of understand how we might also plant the same seeds. The first seed that I believe his mother, the grandmother, planted in him is the seed of resolution. That is the, the seed of commitment, sticking to it. Um, when you think of, of what makes the difference between a successful student and an unsuccessful student, as a teacher, these are things that are on my mind uh, all the time. What, what, what distinguishes a student who's going to succeed versus a student who's not? And what studies have shown, what they've indicated is how resolved they are to success. 
that's what's going to make a difference. It's not their intelligence factor. It's not, you know, how bright they may be. I've had some incredibly bright students in my classes who just totally bombed, not because the material was too hard, but because they just weren't resolved to do well. And conversely, I've had some students who, who weren't, I don't know what's the best way to put it, um, all that bright, I guess, I don't know. But man, they excelled in my classes. Why? Because they were resolved that they were going to learn the material. They were going to work through that material. And, and so res resolution, being resolved, is uh, a big part of success just in life. And you see that with um, Timothy's mother in Acts chapter 16, verse 1. It says, Paul came also to Derby and to Lystra, and a disciple was there named Timothy. In other words, he was already a believer before ta uh, Paul even met him. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. Now, one of the things you see in that, in that coupling is, number one, it's not a great coupling. Mother's Jewish, father's a Greek. Now, we don't know how that happened. We have no background as to, you know, was this a she fell in love with him and she went ahead and married him or, or what exactly, how this happened, how this marriage transpired. But it, it, it is ultimately a mistake because if there's two groups that are really incompatible, it's the Jewish faith and the Greek mindset. They, they view things completely differently. They, they view the world differently. They view what's important differently. They view um, priorities differently. And, and yet, here they have this marriage. Okay. Father's not a believer. As far as we can tell, as far as we can uh, find expression throughout the biblical text, Paul certainly doesn't mention him in this passage itself. Father's not a believer. Th this marriage is a mistake. It just is. And yet, and yet, we see that despite that decision, despite that choice, despite that move, Timothy's mother is still able to plant in him seeds of faith. She's still able to live a life of commitment, a life of focus, a life of, of, of ministering and serving and, and communicating the truth of, of who Christ is. She's still able to, to plant that seed of resolve in her son. Because she is resolved that despite whatever choices I've made, despite whatever mistakes I've made, despite whatever uh, bad directions I've taken, I'm going to I'm going to stay on this path of following Christ. I'm going to stay on this path of, of following my faith. I'm, I'm going to express and communicate these things, and so she she plants that in Timothy as well. And so you see in Timothy what you see a person who himself is very resolved, a person who stays beside. Paul, even in the most difficult of times, even in, 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 through imprisonment, through, through beatings, through stonings, through other things that, that they encountered, Timothy stayed beside Paul. Timothy carried out the ministry. Timothy uh, became the pastor at, in Ephesus and a difficult church by all accounts. And yet he was resolved to see that grow, resolved to see that, that, that ministry take hold. He got that 
from the seeds that his mother has planted. A second seed that goes right along with the first, a very important, is the seed of grace. On down in verse 3, it says, Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because the Jews who were in, in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. Okay. Now, again, because of the marriage, she was unable to have her son circumcised, which was the primary sign, one of the most important signs in Judaism, one of the very first things done in Judaism uh, for a young boy. And yet Timothy was not circumcised. He, he, he didn't carry out that, that sign of the covenant. He didn't carry out that reality. Now again, we can look at that and we can say, well, wow, what a mistake, and, and wow, what a problem, and, and wow, man, she's just compromising, and she's just selling her, her faith out, her belief system out, her heritage out. But I, again, I want us to, to, to see and to understand that, that despite that, she planted a true faith in her son. She planted a, a true, she herself lived out a true faith. How is she able to do that? She was able to do that. The only way you can do that in such circumstances is to properly understand grace. That grace is God's calling of us even in the midst of our mistakes. It's him calling us and it's him changing us and it's him directing us and him transforming us. It's, it, it's, it's a power that doesn't ignore sin but transforms sin into something greater. Transforms that, that, those things that would hold us down into things that could help us pursue something more. We just sing, this is amazing grace. This is love that God has for us. Again, as I've said before, grace is not a, a big sh shoulder shrug of God saying, oh, well, you sinned, oh, well. It's God saying you've sinned and that causes damage to you and that causes damage to our relationship and that saddens me, but I'm going to continue loving and transforming and working in your life nonetheless. It's a call to something higher. It's a call to something greater. And so we see Timothy's mom living that out on a day-to-day -day basis, not living in the past of whatever mistake or whatever choice she made that wasn't the best but looking to the future and you see Timothy again living that out in his ministry in Ephesus in his, his work with Paul third we have the seed of example here in the passage that we started with verse 5 of chapter 1 of 2 Timothy I am reminded of your sincere faith a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother unison now. And now I am sure dwells in you. Example. There's, a, there's an old saying. It's ascribed to Francis of Assisi. But we really can't find any evidence that he actually said it. But I think it has some truth to it, obviously. It says, preach the gospel wherever you go. And if necessary, use words. Preach the gospel wherever you go, and if necessary, use words. 
In other words, our lives should be of such a nature. Our actions should be filled with grace. Our, our attitudes should be filled with love to such a degree that people see a difference. People experience God's grace. People experience the gospel in how we lived. Now, I would say it's always necessary to use words so that people understand where that grace and that goodness and love is coming from, but the, the heart of that sentiment is still true. Our actions need to reveal the grace of God. We need to reveal the gospel of Jesus Christ, that before this is who we were, and now this is who we are. And in between those two realities is Jesus the one who transforms us. And we see that played out. People are watching us. Your children, your grandchildren are watching you. Especially those who are so close to you. They know you're a believer. They know you say, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. And they're watching to see what exactly does that mean in this person's life? What difference does that make? Are they expressing and communicating the truths that they say they believe? We've all heard the, the narrative or the idea or the concept of the preacher's kid. You know, the one who's the troublemaker in disguise, perhaps. And I think that's sad that that's become a stereotype. That the very people who are supposed to be leading us have so expressed and so communicated things to their children that their children have become a stereotype for misbehavior. That's problematic. And while my kids certainly aren't perfect, I'm pleased that uh, they all love the Lord and are seeking to serve him in, in the lives that they live. That's not a testimony to me. That's a testimony to their mom and to the grace of God. But we all need to be living a life of example, planting those seeds. Fourth, the seed of knowledge 2 Timothy 3.15, Paul is once again addressing Timothy specifically. He says, how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. They're able to what? To make you wise. Not just rote memory, but application. In other words, you don't just know the scriptures. You know how they apply to your life. Where did Timothy get that knowledge from childhood from his mother and his grandmother they taught him they instructed him they informed him these are the scriptures these this is how those scriptures apply to your life this is what you're to be about Timothy from childhood knew the truth of scripture knew what it meant and how it applied that's something we need to be about. We need to be spending time teaching, instructing those that we come in contact with. And then finally, the seed of courage. 
seed of courage. In Acts 14, verses 21 through 22, it says, When they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in faith, and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. And so here you, you, you have this mention of Paul's ministry before he even meets Timothy. But what's it say about there? Through many tribulations, through many difficulties, strengthening the souls. Here in Lystra, here in Derby, he had, Paul had been stoned. He'd been beaten. This was the environment that Timothy's was raised in. This is the environment that his mother had lived in. An environment to where when the gospel is preached, the people turn to stoning the deliverer. And so in chapter 16, where we picked up, Paul has returned to Derby and to Lystra to encourage the believers, to, to communicate to them the grace of God. And you see that seed of courage that he's planting in, in Timothy's life in the other disciples' life. He, it's a seed that says, despite the circumstances, despite the hardship, despite all that we're dealing with, we're going to stand firm in our faith. We're going to communicate the gospel. This is our calling. We live now in an environment that, uh, we live in a society that's now called post-Christian environment. That's the way our culture is now described. And you can see it in, in all sorts of ways, obviously. Um, when, when I was a kid, and I, and I lived in a, in a very, I was outside the Bible Belt even, okay? I did not grow up in the Bible Belt. I grew up in Arizona. But even there, the city functions respected Wednesdays and Sundays, Wednesday nights were left clear so that whatever you wanted to do on Wednesday night you could do, but we obviously went to church. Sundays were left alone. My previous church, I had several families who, who struggled because their kids, they, their kids really wanted to play team sports, but all the team sports in the Mid-Cities area took place on Sunday mornings. Sunday mornings. Didn't even respect Sundays, much less Wednesdays. That's just an example of how we're moving in that direction. And in some ways, that's a good thing. I'll be honest, I think that's a good thing because it's going to begin to, to call and separate out believers in terms of do we really believe what we say we believe? When, when the culture is not helping us, when, when circumstances are not feeding us, when, when things are, are not advocating a more cultural Christianity, are we still going to stand strong for our faith? But it also is a warning sign for where things are headed. And, and we need to understand that. And it's going to take, in the years ahead, it's going to take courage to be a believer. It's going to take conviction to be a believer, and we need to start planting those seeds now, not through false narratives, not through conspiracy theories, but through authentic expression of what it means to be a Christian and to walk in our faith. 
in the examples that we communicate, in the grace that we live by, in the resolve that we walk by. These are the seeds we need to plant. A story is told of Benjamin Franklin that he discovered that, that lime, when put with the crops, actually produced a greater yield, a, a, a better uh, produce of what he had planted. It was a great fertilizer. And he tried to tell his neighbors and those around him that this was the case, and they all thought that, uh, that it was ridiculous. How could this, this lime powder stuff, how can that help things grow better? That's, that's ridiculous. And so with his next crop, he, as he laid out his crop, his, his corn, he wrote with lime, this is plastered in the field. And as it grew, that where he had laid out the lime was thicker, it was richer, it was greener. And, and you could see the writing of how he'd written it across there. His words had been, this is what we need to do. But he also expressed in actions, this is how it works. Let me show you the results. As we, as believers, start to plant these seeds, it's not just enough to say the words. It's not just enough to communicate these truths. We also need to be carrying out actions that demonstrate the produce, that demonstrate the growth to demonstrate the grace. This is what Christ has called us to. We have to live lives that plant seeds that last and that find expression in our own actions, communicating the gospel as we go, sharing our faith with those we come in contact with, and being people who make a difference. A lot of what I know and what I believe about Christ started with my own mother. My dad was a believer as well, but it was really my mom who communicated a lot of the knowledge and understanding to me what it means to be a Christian. And then, although she's passed on many years now, it is something that I carry with me to this day, the faith she planted in me, something I carry to this day, and something that I hope I'm instilling and passing on to other generations as well. May we all desire to communicate God's grace and God's goodness, living lives with examples of courage and of commitment as God has called us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we, we realize how frail we are, how weak we are, how um, prone to disobedience we are. But God, we pray that you would help us to, to walk in the grace that you've granted. Help us to, to walk with a, a reflection, a mindset, an outlook that communicates and relays the truth of your goodness and your mercy. Help us, Lord, to, to be a people who are planting the right kind of seeds, who are communicating who you are. 
Thank you for your love. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for the privilege of being called your son and your daughter. Lord, we, we pray that you would help us to, to live up to that name as we walk in your power and in your grace. In Christ's name I pray.